happy Friday, everybody. The smoke is clearing. It's kind of ugly outside, but whatever. It's the weekend. We're here. And the Blue Jays are hot. The Blue Jays are hot. We actually have a Stanley Cup playoff series. Oh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs just signed Austin Matthews' hero, which has to matter, right? That has to matter. We're the Arizona Coyotes North. Matthew Nyes, Austin Matthews, Shane Doan, bring them all in. Get everyone from Arizona here. Let them run the hockey club. Okay, first, a couple quick things before we get to my guy Ariel Hawani of the MMA Hour, the Ariel Hawani basketball show. Chop up a little basketball ahead of tonight's game. And, of course, uh, you know, the guy knows Conor McGregor, and he's, he's plugged into the Conor McGregor scene. So apparently he's re-entering USADA. Uh, apparently we're going to get a fight. Mm, who that's actually going to be, though, well, we have, we'll see about that part of it. Okay, so 70 quali- seven, not 70, seven quality starts for Barrios this season. And now an ERA of 366. And it's weird because obviously they lost their ace. The Toronto Blue Jays, Manoa's gone to the Florida Complex League. He's working with coaches on everything from his conditioning to his mechanics to, yeah, the state of his mentals as he tries and figures out how to get back to being the pitcher that he once was. But the story of the season, from a positive standpoint, has been the Blue Jays pitching staff. They've been incredible. And I was talking about this with Ennis the other day, but it... It's not the choice that you would have wanted to make, but if you would have looked at the Blue Jays' starters ERA, you would have assumed that Manoa was doing his regular thing, that Gossman was doing his regular thing, and that, yeah, the guys that were spiking up the numbers a little bit would have been Barrios and Kikuchi. Kikuchi goes tonight. I'm feeling good about him because he's facing a Twins team that's pretty beat up and already horrific against lefties. So maybe he pads the stats a little bit, but, man, this this Barrios turnaround is the biggest story of the pitching season from a positive standpoint. Like, Chris Bassett, they gave that big contract to. You figure that he was going to come in here as a gamer and pitch well. I know his numbers from a year ago at the very end, the tail end, they were a little worrisome, and it's going to be something to monitor as we head down the stretch here. But put yourself back at the World Baseball Classic. When we first got a look at Barrios this year in a meaningful game, he got tattooed. He got shelled. And we went, oh, my God. How many years does this guy have? I have a tweet floating out there. Definitely a tweet floating out there. Like, is this going to end up being the worst contract in Toronto sports? Is this going to go down in the pantheon of things we remember where, you, where Toronto sports fans go, don't remind me of that contract. Please, for the love of God, don't bring that thing up. Because of the length and the dollars committed to the guy. I remember a year ago, David Sampson being on Jeff Blair's show, talking about how if his numbers continue to track this way, the Blue Jays just flat out cannot keep him. Last year, he gave up. You go back to last season. He led the league in hits against and earned runs against. A hundred earned runs he gave up last season. A hundred. It's not a good number to be having. His ERA, as we all noted, spiked over five. Now he's sitting at 366. And if you look at his numbers right now, where he sits today, and yeah, we're in June, whatever. He's only at a little under 80 innings. His numbers are pretty well in line with the guy that the Blue Jays traded for, which is huge because the entire argument about trading for this dude was, hey, he's Mr. Consistency. Don't worry about the spider tax stuff that was popping up around that time because go look at this guy's career. He's the same dude the entire time. 
And so, yeah, the Jays traded for a guy with a 352 ERA with a whip just over one. And that's pretty much what they have right now. And by the way, just for noting it, he was top 10 in Cy Young voting that year. He's up almost a K per nine from a year ago. He looks way more confident from a year ago. Just looks like a guy who's settling in. And so if this is the Barrios that you're getting, somewhere that's even around this, God, what a sigh of relief for the Toronto Blue Jays considering that they've paid this guy. The staff is good. The pitching staff is good. And now we just got to see if Kikuchi can hold on and whatever they're going to end up getting out of the fifth guy until hopefully Manoa returns some point in June. All right, so... The Leafs hire Shane Doan. I don't really have an opinion on this. I just think that it can't be a bad thing that they're hiring someone who's widely respected around hockey, who is an incredibly good guy, and who Austin Matthews at one point looked up to in his career, and will absolutely... I'll I'll just tell you, I think that when you're in a profession like this, you come across people, you start to get a little jaded. Like, I don't think Austin Matthews gets starstruck by anyone. I'm sure he's met Shane Doan a million times, but when you have a childhood hero it's hard to let that go unless the person mistreats you in some way and so I would just have to envision that when those two guys sit down at the table or those two guys have a chat about things that Matthews is giving him his full attention and that maybe he doesn't trust him right away that's probably being overly generous with it but at least he's going to hear Shane Doan and he's going to look forward to speaking with Shane Doan and yeah anybody that knows Doan has a pretty good idea of just the kind of human being he he is, which is a very good one. Um, I've got Ariel Hawani here, but I just need to mention too before we hit this interview that Botano Best Bet hit again. That's We're trying for something pretty historic today. If we win today, that's only three misses in an entire month. Three misses in a month. Let that settle in with you. That's how hot the Botano best bet has been. And so if you're tailing, show me the receipts. If you want to try Botano, hit me up. But yeah, we're going to go for only three misses in an entire month of podcasts. I'm pretty excited about this. Won't lie. I'm very, very pleased with, you know, fattening people's wallets. Anyways, um, a guy who doesn't need any wallet fattening, Ariel Hawani. Now, you know, one of my favorite things to do is chat with my old friend Ariel Helwani of the MMA Hour, the Ariel Helwani Basketball Show, which is excellent. Just had Lee Ellis on, who sneaky jump shot on Lee Ellis, huh? Like, I've seen his posts. The guy shoots hoops around the world. He can he can knock it down. you got to defend him far out when you play basketball. Oh, yes. And hello, J.D. How are you? Long time no speak. Hope all is well. You're such a pro. You're like one of those guys who doesn't do the how are you thing because we already did the how are you thing, so you get right into it. It's a very pro radio move. I love it. Um, Lee Ellis is the man. He's a vet. I think he's like 46, and uh, that's a few years older than me and definitely way older than you, and I bet he could beat both of us at the same time. Like two-on-one, I bet he smokes us. No shot? No, no shot. No, I don't think you realize that I'm actually a, a really good basketball player. Oh, my bad. All right. I guess I, uh, yeah, yeah. no 46 year old is cooking me. Like it's just, it's not happening. Like I've played, you know, who's the man at Sportsnet who's kind of got Lee Ellis's game is Brad Fay. Wow. How old is Brad Fay? I 
want to say similar age-ish range. He's a big Bruce Springsteen guy. I don't want to age media people. I feel like this is a tro- like this is how I get in real trouble yeah. is to start guessing people that are on television's ages. But no, Brad Faye can knock it down. And I will say this is like as much as Brad is a better shooter than I am, there's no question. I think he played Canadian collegiate ball. You know, it just gets to a certain age where and I have this happen to me now too with young guys that I play pickup with where it doesn't matter if you're a better player and it's actually one of the most frustrating, humbling things about playing basketball is your brain and your ability with your body, they just start to stop linking up the same way defensively and your ability to just get past past people. And so you got to be just like the old man knock it down shooter if you're anything under like six foot five, six foot six. The other guy who's the man at pickup is Michael Grange, but he's a nasty player and he'll elbow you if you get too close. Like no joke, he'll, hurt, he'll put a hurt on you. Wow, what, are there like uh, sports net, Pickup games going on on a weekly basis because this is a lot so of intel. There, there used to be, there used to be a weekly pickup game that was run by a lot of the guys on the television side. My old roommate, he and I, uh, we would yeah basically run a Sportsnet pickup league for a very long time. He's six nine, my old roommate, and he played college basketball at Waterloo. And so, you know, whenever you have a six foot nine guy who can block shots and who's actually really good, you can show up at very solid runs. And so, yeah, we would used to do that for a very long time with basketball. And yeah, old Brad Faye would show up every once in a while and he would just be complete rainmaker. You'd have to genuinely D up on him because if you gave him space, he would knock it down in your face. And like Lee Ellis is like that. All I'm saying is we would beat him two on one. All right. Like I would take him off the dribble every single time. I'd be looking like Jokic. You would just be getting, you would be the Aaron Gordon. Okay. Of our team where you would just be cleaning up the bunnies. All I would need you to do is make the layups. I would, I would by the way, you're making me so jealous right now because I haven't played pick up really since pre pandemic. And I was actually just thinking, Honestly, while watching Lee's clips, for anyone that doesn't know, Lee Ellis used to be on the Basketball Jones and the Starters on NBA TV, no dunks with The Athletic, and then left somewhat abruptly at the end of last season and decided to go out and do his own thing. And he wants to play pickup in 20 different countries and cities and has had some amazing experiences so far, hanging out with Luka Doncic's dad in Slovenia and Drazen Petrovic's mom in, in Croatia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In any event, I was watching some of his highlights, and I was like, man, I miss this. I really need to go out there. I'm always afraid of getting hurt, but I maybe need to get over that. But I guess that's what happens when you hit 40. Yeah, and I will say this, like, not to get too preachy about this kind of stuff, but I think for me, as I've gotten older with athletics, I can start to go in a shelf. And I say oftentimes, I'll be like, hey, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt. And that's definitely a part of it. Like, I've definitely been at pickup runs before with younger guys, and like they'll jump under your leg even close and you almost twist an ankle and you freak out because you go, man, I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm not 21 years old anymore. This is like real life for me. Um, But I think too is I like being good at things and I think a lot of people are like that and it can sort of limit what you want to do with stuff. And as you're getting older, especially with athletics, like, you know, man, I'm starting to get up there now. Like I'm in my mid thirties. My athletic prime is beyond me. Uh, I need LeBron James to stay around so I can continuously say I can still do this. But ultimately, it's, it's harder as you start to age to 
stick with athletics at times because you can't like the improvement starts to diminish, right? Like you can get better at some things, you can get craftier, but ultimately you know that no longer you can hit your potential. And so I think it's good to push past those things and still enjoy the things that you enjoy, even if you just like can't be the best or you can't be great or you can't even resemble who you used to be. I'm that's just maybe me revealing too much, but that's a that's definitely a me thing with sports wow. as I get older. This is very inspirational stuff. Usually we come on here and we, you know, bust chops. I mean, now you're, you're like one of those inspirational books about living life to its fullest and YOLO and all that stuff. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, but Lee is cool like that, right? Because he really does do it. He's loving something he does. He's following a passion. And he clearly has other talents, right, which allow him to do these things. But, yeah, no, I really admire a guy like him that just continuously puts himself out there and, yeah, and just follows his passion. I think there is something admirable about that. So... Yeah, I, honestly, dude, I, I think that there's a very similar tie-in with you, which is that now you do the Ariel Hawani basketball show. Like, it was something that you did with ESPN when you were there doing, you know, working with the broadcast. I know it was a dream come true for you, but basketball is a passion. You're obviously, you know, well-documented on this show as a lifelong Knicks fan. And, and I think that's great that, yeah, you, you know, you were willing to put yourself out there and, and dive into a new project. And I think that, like, this is sort of a tie-in with those things is, yeah, just because it's not the first thing that is, uh, that you're known for, uh, you can still accomplish these things and do these things. And, man, like, I love the podcast. Like, I haven't listened to the Lee episode yet, but I've texted you about a couple of them. I know you always think I don't listen, I don't pay attention, but I get around to it and I try to do my best. You've had some terrific guests on it. It's really well done. I'm enjoying it. So congrats on the basketball podcast. I don't think I've formally yeah, congratulated you on the show. Thank you. I, I sincerely appreciate that. That means a lot. And, yeah, it is to a degree humbling. And, you know, I, I was actually going to tweet this earlier but um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't. Um, you know, people always ask me, like, oh, man. You know, they talk about with my MMA stuff and the combat stuff. Like, you've got this big platform. You've got this big platform. Like, like I just sort of stumbled upon the platform that it didn't take years upon years to create that platform. And now I have to sustain the platform. But just one hour ago, uh, actually an hour and a half ago, I was supposed to talk to someone and they no-showed. And I haven't been no-showed in a very long time, and it was for the basketball podcast. And uh, that's humbling because I reach out to a lot of these guys. Like I did an interview with one guy. I won't say who he was, but he comes on the Zoom, and he's like, so what do you need, 15 minutes? And I was like, oh, this is sort of like a long-form-ish interview show. Uh, and so I feel like I'm starting out all over again, but there's, there's something yeah. fun about that and refreshing about that. I don't really have an ego to be like, don't you know who I am? Because I'm a nobody in that world and I'm scratching and clawing and trying to get people to uh, talk to me and to show that I can, you know, have a conversation about basketball, which is something that I love doing. So it's been a great experience. Uh, at times I'm like, damn, uh, I forgot what it was like to feel like uh, a peon and no one wants to talk to you for more than 15 minutes, but I am going to forge on and I'm going to prove to people. And part of the, the, the goal, as we've talked about when I left ESPN was to show people that I'm not just an MMA guy and, now trying to show people that I'm to be all combat or basketball or general interviews and things like that. And I think it's working. It just, you know, it takes some time. Yeah. You know what though, is you're, I think you're motivated in a certain way that I am too, which is when people doubt you in something that it only makes you stronger, you know, and, and we've seen this with uh, you. What, what do you like to do? 10, eight Helwani when you get into beefs with people. And, and, and I've and talked, 
Yeah, seven right is you, dude. You know how to rise to the occasion when someone, yeah, tries to call you out. You're very good at keeping receipts. You're very good at organizing your arguments. Uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to the day where I draw your ire to that degree because I just, yeah, not I'm not prepared. I'm more of an off the cuff kind of guy. Just go with the way that things are happening in the moment. Um, so. Yeah, I think that this is good. Like, I think that this is going to be a really positive project for you. And I think that's a cool experience to be able to kind of, yeah, touch base with some other stuff that you're doing and feel like you're building a different brand. Because, yeah, it's pretty clear at this point that, you know, you're the authority on MMA. You're the authority on combat sports. Your show is the one that Monday when everything is done and the big events are done, that's where the guests are going to be. That's where you're going to get your content. So, yeah, I don't want to say you've toppled that world or that's done for you. But, yeah, you've clearly established who you are in that space. So let's talk basketball before we talk MMA. Um, are okay. you writing off the Heat? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the Heat never had a chance in the series. Uh, I thought they were going to lose in five. Um, I thought that they would win either game three or four was my prediction at home. Sort of like sort of like the uh, the '99 Finals, Spurs Knicks. Knicks were banged up. They didn't have Patrick Ewing, but they lost game one and two. They were able to squeeze one out in New York, but eventually lost in five um, in New York. And so I feel like this is going to go the same way. Bit of a shocker that Denver lost at home, but I think they took their foot on the ga- off the gas. I think they win on Friday. I think, yeah, and I think that's it. I, th- I think it's five. I think they, they'll uh, close this out on Monday. Yeah, I was lucky I got is to talk too, to Is that too matter of fact? No, that's perfect, because I was going to say that uh, today I got a chance to talk to Stu Gotts um, of the Dan Lebitard show, which is great. You know, awesome guy, really fun dude to talk to. And he kind of – he made me take at least a bit of a stutter step because he went like, oh, you're writing off the heat, huh? And who hasn't done that before? And I went, oh, you know what? Maybe I am being a little bit too premature. But I actually think what happened in those first two games of this series is that the Nuggets knew the same thing we did, which is, man, we're so much better than these guys, and they do not have an answer for Jokic. He's going to be able to do whatever the hell he wants in this series. And if we just play good defense, right, like if we just buckle down on that end, they're not going to be able to stop us, and we're going to be able to outscore them in every single one of these games. And I think that Denver basically, like you mentioned, took the foot off the gas in game two. They got a little lazy. They, sh- they didn't start on time, which is the terminology that we love here in Toronto because that's what Mike Babcock used to use with the Maple Leafs. And, yeah, they paid a price for it. They never really settled in the game. They let Miami shooters find their range, and they got punished with the game. But at this point, uh, and I started my show, uh, what is going to be yesterday with this, is like Murray and Jokic are the best tandem in the NBA, and flat out they're the two best players in the series. And then you look at the rest of the composition of Miami, and I I just – I think that with Jimmy Butler beat up, it's impossible for me to see – a scenario where Denver blows this. Like, I just, I don't think Jokic is that guy. I don't think Murray is that guy where they're going to let their team fall by the wayside here. To me, this would actually be, I, I think, the most shocking upset in an NBA Finals that I, I could remember in my lifetime, like if this ends up happening. The only one that would have been bigger would have been had the Raptors pulled it off against a fully healthy Golden State team or had the first LeBron James championship when he lost to the Spurs gone his way. Oh, that was such a bad team. That was yeah, such was. a bad team. Um, that I just saw a picture recently of like the lineup that he was playing with. Um, honestly, those Knicks in '99, I mean, had no business against uh, you know being in there with the the Spurs, especially with no Patrick Ewing. I was going to mention the Raptors 
Um, so you beat me to it on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the reason why I wouldn't put it up there as one of the great, great upsets, even if the Heat did it, is because I think the Heat are much better than a quote-unquote eight seed. I think they underachieved all year. And, you know, Denver is somewhat unproven, right? Historically, they've you know never made it to the finals. Um, they haven't been a juggernaut. It's not like they're one of those teams that, you know, of uh, yesteryear, like the Bulls who made it to – you know, a couple of conference finals and things like that, and then couldn't get over the hump, and then finally get over the hump. Like they're they're only really making this run now. I know they had some close calls against Portland, and and uh, you know they had that good run in the bubble, but that's the only reason why because their whole team is unproven. There's there's no, I mean they 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 play seven deep um, ordinarily, and and none of those guys are veterans. None of those guys are former champions. So that's why I wouldn't quite go that way. But I still think they're the superior team and. In my opinion, they have the two best players on the court, Murray and and, and Jokic, and uh, I, th- I think they could they could win in five, and I think they could win next year too. Um, they're that damn good. I really love watching them play. They're just so fun to watch. Jokic is so fun to watch, and I will admit I'm biased, and I'm sure you can agree with this. Like I have so much pride watching Jamal Murray. Um, I, I just can't believe the second best player on the court is from Canada. And I swear to God, man, if these guys don't play for the Canadian team in, in the World Cup and then in the Olympics next year, if we qualify, I'm going to be so freaking pissed. I mean, we have such a good collection of players. Ultimately, I don't know if they could come together and they're, they're lacking size, but we've never had a better group of young Canadian talent playing in the NBA. If these guys don't finally commit to Team Canada, I'm going to be very mad and I might, I might renounce my Canadian citizenship forever after this. Yeah, I mean that would be very Quebec of you. Like that would that would go very well with your Quebec roots. Oh my like, god! Hey, let me still use the money and use all the good stuff here, but uh, we want to be our own thing. Uh, cool, thank you. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> use the money or any of the stuff. Right? I, I don't live there anymore. Come on, aren't you frustrated? We should be. Come yeah. on, what's going on here? Why don't they ever Man, play? I've... Yeah, I've killed these guys for it. I mean, they've shown up a couple of times, uh, and last time they really Not did show up in droves. It was just like it was Wiggins that really didn't show up last time, and yeah, that was a little bit controversial about what, whether or not you know he had, uh, yeah, been pr- not promised enough with the team. But I do think that there is a real commitment from Jamal Murray of all guys. Like, I I think that he is going to be a pretty big factor in Canada basketball moving forward. I think they will get it done. It's weird though because they're they're stuck in this qualification cycle, which makes it difficult for a lot of these guys to show up. And I get it. Um, I want the same thing you want where guys feel, you know, like the Eastern European guys. Oh, I should just say the European players in general where they show up for their team and they're desperate to play for their team. And you want the same feeling from Canada basketball is, hey, are you guys going to be there when it's inconvenient for you? Are you going to be there even if you have a big contract to sign or the team pushes back on you in any way and gives you a little bit of a sign that, yeah, you know, they're reluctant that you go to this thing. It's like that that's the era I think we need to move past. And my guess is, my hope is, and maybe it's, you know, just over-the-top optimism, but I just think it's going to take one moment for these guys, and then they're going to start doing it. And hopefully the pride in that program starts to happen. The issue is, or one of the issues I think anyway, is that we don't talk enough about with these guys – is that so many of these Canadian basketball players are playing in American prep schools from, you know, the times they're 14, 15 years old. And so I I just wonder what the connection is for them with Canada. And it doesn't feel like 
other sports where you train here as often, you're worked out here as often, you go to the States basically, yeah, 14, 15, and then the goal is to never return because it's either go to college or go to the NBA and you're probably not getting drafted by the Raptors unless you're Chris Boucher. And, you know, now I'm down this rabbit hole because I'm thinking about whether or not Nick Nurse is going to be Canada basketball head coach moving forward now that he's not with the Raptors. No chance, yeah, No chance. Yeah, I don't think so either. No, it doesn't feel right. It would be so weird to see him succeed with the national program. Yeah, I know. It'd be so a strange weird. breakup. Also, okay. also I, I, I feel like you remember when Brian Colangelo took over for Team USA after their debacle in, in Athens? It, you needed that like two year commitment. I know they've done a little bit of that with Rowan Barrett, mm-hmm. but it just it feels like we're about to approach that time where these guys are saying, All right, you know, we're gonna commit, we're gonna be there and, and the World Cup is, is a great first uh, opportunity to do that. And so I'm really curious to see who shows up. To your point, it's always been, oh, I have a contract thing. I'm about to go into a big year. I don't want to get hurt. But enough is enough, man. 2000, I remember uh, waking up super early to watch that Steve Nash-led team. And I was we so Australia. excited. That, yes, I was so excited that Canada was playing. Men's, men's Canada. Uh, shout out to the women. They do great. Uh, and on the soccer side of things as well. But they've been smoking the men for years. But it's time, man. 2024, I'm really high on these 2024 Olympic Games just because, not to go down this rabbit hole, but like I, I just feel like the last few Olympics have been so depressing, and I just feel like awful. this is going to be like the return to the Olympics, and there's going to be a lot to be excited about, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want us to be involved. I've been dying to see a great Canadian team. Ultimately, do, I, do they medal? I don't know. There's a lot of great European squads, international squads, et cetera. But I think they could be a real factor and I would wouldn't it be so great to see Murray and SGA and 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 Boucher and Dort and all the RJ and all these guys playing together it would be Benedict Mathurin Montreal oh I would love it I would love nothing more yeah I tr- I've been trying to get your guy Benedict Mathurin maybe you can get him on your podcast because he's been a correspondent recently and we were trying to get him and but yeah so far no no luck on him you're right um I want to see the pride around Canada basketball but the one thing I will say is kind of it's cool and it sucks about Jamal Murray up here that I've noticed. And I brought this up with Blake Murphy a couple of weeks ago is I actually think that the Jamal Murray thing is now the most underrated Canadian sports story maybe ever, like all things considered. The guys out here putting up, you know, and he's not the best player on his team, so maybe that's the reason this is happening in contrast to like Steve Nash when he basically blew things up. But I feel like Canadian basketball players in the NBA and successful Canadian basketball players in the NBA has become so commonplace that, like, 10 years ago, man, less than that, like, the story of Jamal Murray in Canada would have been huge, like, massive. Wait, this guy's Canadian? Now I don't even say that to people. Like, I don't sit down with a casual NBA observer and try to sell them on the fact that Jamal Murray's Canadian. It's just like, it because it's not a spectacular feat anymore. We're so good at basketball as a country. We've had so many first-round picks, so many good players. Um, yeah, it's, we just had another guy, Andrew Wiggins, win a championship as his team's second most important player with the Warriors. That It's like... It, it's becoming commonplace. And, and I don't really know how to balance that coverage whenever I'm talking about it because I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to underdo it. But it's just like everyone here has just kind of accepted, hey, we're awesome at basketball. It's just become the norm. Yes, but we've never had success on the international stage. No, right? I know. We so need that, that feels like Absolutely. the next step. That feels like the next step. We're, we're, we're factors in the NBA. We're, we're major, you know, major stars on major teams that are winning championships. 
Like we're not just we're not just Bill Wennington. I'm old enough to remember where it was just Bill Wennington. That was our pride. And then it was Rick Fox, but Rick Fox really wanted nothing to do with us. And Bill really didn't want anything to do with us as well. Um, And so we've come a long way in that regard, but we need to take that next step. And we're right here. World Cup, Olympic, let's go. Yeah, I, I thought that the Raptors run was going to change things pretty drastically in this country. Like, people were going to want to capitalize on that opportunity. And then the pandemic happened, and so it was really tough to kind of evaluate. But yeah. I, I do think that they're going to get there. I And I and I, now my belief is that the guys are going to want to do it because they just want the talk to end of what could have been with Canada basketball. They need to feel some ownership of this, and I hope that they looked at what – the Canadian men's team at the World Cup accomplished with just the amount of passion they generated within the country, the support they generated within the country, and just go, yeah, you know what, we need to do this thing. Okay, so speaking of that Raptors run, I do want to tie this one thing in on this series before we move on. I was thinking about this on the train today when I was going to getting ready to talk to you about improbable runs. I kind of, it's not that the Raptors were robbed, they won a championship, but I was starting to think about how they did really get robbed of that respect that the Miami Heat almost have in this series when Kevin Durant got hurt. Because they beat a Golden State Warriors team that basically everyone wrote down in pen was going to beat them. And I know Clay got hurt later in the series too and the Warriors were banged up, whatever, but so was Kawhi, man. Kawhi carried his team very much like Jimmy Butler did through the first couple of rounds of the Eastern Conference playoffs. He was the guy that everyone was referring to as him. And yes, Kawhi is a higher pedigree player, but at that time, we, we weren't really sure that Kawhi was ever going to be able to do it again because of his leg injuries. And by the time he got to the finals, he was still effective, much like Jimmy Butler is right now. But you could totally tell that there was something going on with his legs, and that's sort of when his teammates started to pick him up. And Miami is the heat culture thing and all the undrafted guys. But Toronto had undrafted guys too. Like, they had Fred Van Vliet. They had no top 15 first-round picks. They were the tough team. They had all these different things. And because the Kevin Durant injury happened, I just sort of look back on this thing and say, man, I almost wish he – well, I, almost, I guess I always would have wished he never would have gotten hurt. But even if it would have been potentially at the expense of the title, because had Toronto actually yeah. have gotten that one done, I feel like that's the thing everyone would be talking about during this Heat series is how much they resemble a lot of what Toronto had at that time with, yeah, Jimmy playing the role of Kawhi and then, yeah, Kyle Lowry playing the role of Kyle Lowry and then go on down the line. I love you, J.D., but this is one of the all-time worst takes in the history of takes. Are you kidding <laughs> You're me? happy Katie got hurt. No, I mean, I'm not happy he got hurt, but this is like a first-world problem. In retrospect, you're trying yeah, to create sure. something out of nothing. You guys won yeah. a championship, all right? You won a championship yeah. four years ago. You had a parade that was attended by over 2 million people. It's one of the greatest was moments one of in the history of, of Canadian of sports. Yes, okay? Stop bellyaching four years later. It was incredible <laughs> for our country for the sport in our awesome. country. I remember the games at the Sky Dome and the cavernous Sky Dome and Jean Tabak is, is, is taking the jump ball, you know, and uh, what was it? Uh, less than 20 years, no, not 20, 30 years later, uh, you know, you're winning, you're winning an NBA. No, is it 20 years later? What is my math? I don't know. 2019 after 1995, is that 24? Anyway, uh, you're winning an NBA championship against one of the all-time great teams in the history of basketball. Who cares? I think the bigger thing is, you know, they never got to truly defend, if you will, because then it was the the, the pandemic, and then the the run happened a year later, like like almost like several months later. It was in the fall. Basketball was not on everyone's mind. Kawhi leaves. It didn't feel like the team came back. 
those were the issues. But as far as what happened in 2019, in June of 2019, that's magical sh- and, oh, excuse me, uh, I apologize for uh, swearing. Uh, we're, yeah, uh, that's magical stuff. And, um, you know, people get hurt. And you play with the, the hand that you're dealt. So who cares? Let me tell you what. I would love for the Knicks to play a team like the Warriors and things happen and then the Knicks win a championship. I would take that and I would hang that banner up and I would cry and I would say I'm good. I just want one. You're complaining about yeah, the one? That people didn't no, 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 no. Your- you're missing the point here. You're, you're, you're missing the point here a little bit. No, I'm not complaining about the one. The one is the most, the, the best sporting moments in my life, without a doubt, are the golden goal, um, the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl championship win, and then, yeah, and the Raptors 2019 championship win. Those three are, like, completely irrefutably the best things that have ever happened to me as a sports fan. Like, that's it. Those are the three. I love them all. I'm appreciative of them all. All I'm saying is that, the Raptors still beat this incredible team in the Golden State Warriors, but people dismiss it because they go, no Kevin Durant, despite the Warriors having won championships without Kevin Durant. And that the Heat have this beautiful mystique around them right now as the tough team, the properly built team, that Jimmy Butler is Himothy Butler, whatever, and all these undrafted guys, they're the tough team, they're the defense team, they're the clutch team, and they're probably going to lose this series, right? Like we talked about it, we wrote them off. I'm saying that had the Raptors beaten that Golden State Warriors team, had Kevin Durant either never had gone there or never had gotten hurt, that we would have just revered as a basketball-viewing sporting public that Raptors championship a little bit differently. I'm saying it gets dismissed. Everybody here appreciates it. Nobody gives a crap really about it. But I'm saying that all-time championships, when we're doing this thing about, hey, if the Heat win, where does it go down as the most improbable championships? I remember what it was like when the Raptors were facing Golden State and the conversations were, well, they need to make sure they win game one with no Durant because they have 0% chance of winning this series. It was these guys are dead. And they still won. And they won it in six games. And so I just, like, that's all I'm saying is they could have been the team that everyone looks at in North American sports. You know how, uh, you know soccer, I was going to say, I almost got the team name wrong. You know how Leicester City is the gold standard for most improbable championship? I think the Raptors could have been that for North American sports. That's my point. Um. I still don't know if I'm buying what you're selling. If only because Leicester City was like, well, yeah. I don't know what they were the year before. They were like four. But that's why I said North American. That's why I said North yeah, American no, I, sports. I, I don't think you can I, compare I, anything I, to that. Sure, sure, sure. I get what you're saying. I also feel like a win over the Warriors will forever be viewed as a big deal with Durant or not, as opposed to Should a win be. over the Nuggets, just because of who the Warriors were and because they still had Steph. And because KD was available early in the se- in the series, and so was Clay, um, et cetera, et cetera, and the Nuggets are unproven. And on top of that, I really do believe that this Heat team was better than you know than their record would suggest. Uh, yes, I know they lost in the first playing game, and and who knows if Demar Derozan's daughter is at the second playing game if they're even here anymore. And yes, I know they beat the Bucks, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you what. The Knicks might have given them their toughest test leading up to this point, and we don't get enough credit for that. But this is not about the Knicks. I get what you're saying. I look back on that. I, I honestly look back on that series with great fondness. And to me, that was like, you know, it was the last one before the pandemic. So it's almost like an AD type of moment. And I'm not talking about Anthony Davis. I'm talking about, like, the world change. That was the last one before the world change um, for a very long time and, and for a very scary period. So, um 
I, I look back with fondness, and, and I wouldn't care about any of that stuff that you're bringing up, to be honest. Yeah, I care a little. I wish Sorry. they were revered a bit more. I do. I just think that, like, yeah, that way, Raptors championship. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yeah. What if replace the Raptors with the Leafs and replace the war uh, the Warriors with the Lightning? I know that couldn't happen because they're both in the Easter Conference. If the same thing would have happened, would you be feeling the same way, or would you be like, we got our Leafs Stanley Cup? No, I, I, I know that I'm looking back on this with the, like – um, the benefit of the winning history. This is a Victor go the spoils thing. All I'm saying is that I think that that Raptors championship gets a little dismin- diminished, and especially since as sure. they're doing all these conversations about the Heat, and like I'm with you that that Warriors team, even without Kevin Durant, is as impressive, if not more impressive, than what we're seeing here with Golden or sorry with the Denver Nuggets. And so just when, when everyone does these hyperbolic things in the moment, and I know that's kind of the sporting culture, right? Which is everything's either the best or the worst. That's like online. That's the way that we sell things. Whatever. But yeah, it just it does feel like the Raptors championship is just like a weirdly forgotten one, probably because of the thing that you mentioned with no Kawhi run back and then also Kevin Durant missing out. So yeah, I'm just I'm doing the Toronto thing that we do, which is hey, we deserve a little bit more respect. I'm playing that uh, what do you call it in wrestling? Cheap pop. I'm I'm playing the cheap pop card. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of other things for you here. So I watched the first episode of The Ultimate Fighter. Oh yeah. It's not good. <laughs> it's yeah. really bad. That, was... that, that makes that makes one of us. <laughs> yeah, like holy crap! It was so excruciatingly bad. And I, what I didn't realize with this season of The Ultimate Fighter is that half of the contestants are guys who have already been in the UFC that we basically know they're not ever going to be yeah. champions like that it's uh listen no disrespect to canadians like brad katona it's just it's not happening for you guys so anyway um they do this ufc it's not looking so great but i'm excited because connor is going to be in the mix and the news has changed since today apparently according to usada they said that he's expected to re-enter quote immediately um let me just ask you this why, why did it take so long let's start with that why did it take so long for him to re-enter usada Okay, can I just first uh, say that I obviously agree with everything you said about the Ultimate Fighter. The issue is, here's what I've come to the conclusion of. I've come to the conclusion that this season of the Ultimate Fighter isn't for me, and I don't think it is for you either. In other words, it is the same thing that we've seen since 2005. It is literally the same show, same format, same jerseys, same everything. And, I mean, there's, it's 2005. We're approaching 20 years since the show yeah, debuted. And that's just not interesting. Um, Connor or no Connor. And to your point, uh, half of the contestants are people that were just in the UFC who weren't good enough to remain in the UFC. Now, back in, I think it was 06 or 07 latest, but I think 06, they did a comeback season. That was the one that was won by Matt Serra and Patrick Cote. That's when the UFC had way less events, way less fighters. And they were this little engine that could. And the fighters that were on that show were actually really good UFC fighters that just couldn't get over the hump, i.e. a Matt Serra, Patrick Cote, who eventually either won titles or fought for titles. None of these guys are winning titles or fighting for titles. And so half of them, you're like, okay, well, what is this? What are the stakes? And then the other guys just aren't that impressive because in 2023, there's 43 UFC events and there's 
30-something Bellator events, and there's 20-something PFL events, and there's one championship event, and there's contender series, and there's just no great talent out there to put on a show like this. So the stakes just mean nothing. And so, you know, that's why I think it's very forgettable and and not really worth our time unless you're super bored on a a Tuesday night. as far as what was your other question? It was about the it was about the well, was oh why about, did it take so long? Why did it take so long? Yeah. Well, yeah, why did it take so long? I mean that's that's a question for Connor. I mean we could all hypothesize. Ooh, he sort of hinted. you know why? Well, no, he, I, <laughs> no. I, listen, you know why it took hinted, so long? He has hinted that he wanted to that in his mind others did it the wrong way. Uh, he has hinted mm-hmm. that the guys who tried to recover from super serious injuries like Chris Weidman who didn't remove themselves from the pool, did it the wrong way. And so he has said, I'm removing myself from the pool to do whatever I have to do to get back to 100%. So we know that. Yeah. Now, is he, is he taking stuff to get back to 100% or is he taking stuff to enhance his performance? I guess we'll never know. And so, yes, at some point I, he I has know. to come back third. Uh, I mean, what performance does he have to enhance? I have no doubt yeah. that if he did take stuff, that it was to expedite the recovery and by the way i don't really have a problem with that like if tj Dillashaw just removed himself if tj Dillashaw just removed himself from the pool to expedite his shoulder surgery recovery why not like well, what is wrong with that every other athlete is allowed to do that why can't these guys do that by the way don't get me started on the usada thing these guys are being drug tested 24 7 365 they never had a say in the matter they never had a vote they show yep. up to their house at 6 a.m in the middle of a training camp and say pee in this cup Screw that. Like, they don't even have a stake. Of course I want a clean sport, but I hate the way that this has been thrust upon them. So if Connor or anyone else wants to, you know, create some sort of loophole, then God bless. But, of course, he has to come back and do the six-month thing and, and, and make sure he's clean because that's obviously what's fair and not fair to Chandler if otherwise is being done. So, you know, maybe he felt like he wasn't 100%. That's what I mean when you have to say, like, ask him because I don't know what took yeah. so long. We obviously know why he removed himself. But why it took him so long to come back is is still a mystery. Yeah, and, and let me just—I'll say this: I'm lockstep with you on that stuff. And you know, you are a real champion of this. How poorly the UFC is run, and how just little leverage the fighters have, and how yeah, deplorable some of their business practices are with their fighters. And let, I even think about somebody like John Jones. I don't even know where this is at in terms of um, his fight to have his name cleared from the picogram stuff. But even just remembering what we or what we thought we knew then versus what we actually knew now or know now, yeah this thing has been pretty colossally frustrating. Of course, we all want to have clean fights to a degree, but yeah, when it comes to recovery and certain things, I don't mind if Conor McGregor goes out, especially if he's withdrawing himself from the drug testing pool. I just think it's kind of notable that his face and head look completely different than they used to. Like, he's got the Barry Bonds thing that happened to him. Like, he does not wear the same size baseball helmet uh, as he did the last time we saw Conor McGregor. I just want him to be healthy. But that also brings up the next thing, which is, okay, so now he says it's done or that he's getting it done. He's going to re-enter USADA. But he turns 35 in a month. And... I, I saw – did you see the thing Henry Cejudo said about how he could see Connor skipping Michael Chandler because the ratings are bad and he doesn't think that that fight could end up getting done? Like, this is going to be a two-parter. Do you think that it's a lock that he fights Michael Chandler if and when he fights in the UFC again? And two is, like, what do you think the goal is for Connor at this point? Is it still to wear a belt or is it to try to still and make money and keep himself relevant? Can I throw something out your way that – 
comes with no like insider information, no insider information, but just like, you know, for the sake of this conversation. Yeah. And coming off of what you just said, Henry Cejudo said, we are approaching UFC 289 this weekend. What's a massive, massive event for the UFC coming up in the next few months? That would be UFC 300. Could you imagine a scenario in which on August 5th, one Nathan Diaz beats Jake Paul, gets on the microphone and says, I'll see you at UFC 300, Connor, and we'll do the trilogy. I mean, that would be That's the greatest thing stuff. to me. Yeah, that is big time That's stuff. big time That stuff, would make right? me very happy. And, and, and Diaz continues to say, I'll be back. He said it at the press conference a couple weeks ago, and I believe he wants to come back. I believe he just wants to do this fun little thing on the side, and then he'll be back. And, uh, I mean, feels like it's right there for the taking. So I don't know what's going to happen. Ultimately, more and more people are throwing out this theory that they'll never fight. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you what, like if it's June and he's entering now, that takes us to that takes us six months to December. And then, you know, UFC 300 is three months later. Who knows? And, and by the time, by, by the way, by the time December happens and comes around, the Ultimate Fighter will have been done for four plus months. Like there'll be no more momentum. Now, if they come up and say like, "Oh, Chandler's fighting McGregor," everyone will be happy and it's all good in the hood. But uh, I don't think anything is a lock anymore. And uh, I have to think that they're pretty disappointed in the ratings. I saw the ratings are in like the mid twos. I don't think that they were expecting that. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, feels a little low for for a show that they've been pumping for so much time. So, yeah, let's see. I, Wait, Conor McGregor's on it after not being anywhere yeah. for since 2021. Like, he, they obviously expected more excitement around this product. They've advertised a ton. You know, if you throw on a cable box up here in Canada, it's like it gets prominent positioning when you put on your TV that this thing's going to be on TV tonight. Like, it's, it's marketed. It's got star power. It's a brand that goes back 20 years. Like, no, 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 this is a failure. <laughs> this is a big-time miss for the UFC. They need Connor to do something. Maybe he needs to be like Rampage and break a, I don't know, what was it, the door? Yeah. Have a little scene like this? or yeah. what was, No, you know what was a good moment and tough was when uh, your boy, Chael Sonnen, told Vanderlei not to get close yeah. to him, and then the two of them had like a little, uh, yeah, a little session in the middle. But you know of, what's interesting uh, about that? Yeah. That was Tough Brazil. That didn't even air in America that's just a clip that has since lived on forever, but that was never no, even a part that of like this. You watched Tough I, Brazil with the subtitles? Buddy, I've Get seen, out of here. Buddy, I've, yeah, I have seen every... No, that one wasn't subtitles. Chael was on... Man, that season has one of my favorite moments ever, which is Chael gives a speech where he talks about... He says, they say failure is not an option, and he goes... Yes, it is. Failure is absolutely an option. And if you can't picture that, like, you can't be a champion. You can't prepare properly. And I'm like, damn, that's a really good – that's a, a really good motivational speech by Chael. No, I absolutely 100% unequivocally remember that entire – I've seen every season of Tough. I was – I love the show. Again, that roommate that I talked to you about, that was our favorite show. We loved The Ultimate Fighter. We loved it when guys would get drunk in the house and fight each other. We still talk about, like, let me bang, bro, is a very – you know, oh common text between the two of us with that guy. You know what? Like, no, I watched uh, Cody Garbrandt make an ass of himself with hanging with the boy. 
Please. <laughs> I know. Tough. Oh, if I could do God. a trivia show of tough, I would beat you. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. So I would beat like the great Ariel Hawaii. You're disappointed. Yes. Yes, this. I'm crushed. It sucks. I, at the second, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm the, I am the emissary of this show, and I turned it on, and 15 minutes in, I was on my phone going, I can't believe this, texting my buddy going, what a nightmare. I can't believe Brad Katona is here. Like, I didn't, I was not expecting this. And then watching the prospects Connor picked, and the first guy gets starched in like 15 seconds because he has no skills frankly like he like i don't know where they got these guys from but some of these dudes like flat out cannot scrap and i would expect at least the ufc veteran guys to pretty much dismantle them but yeah it's bad it's bad it's a really bad product i don't uh are you gonna keep watching it i don't have high expectations yeah of course <laughs> you watch yeah. it. i'm gonna see it i'm gonna keep yeah i'll watch it conor mcgregor's there man i want to see what conor has to say he's, he's funny he already had a funny line with chandler where he's like you'll do as you're told i was like i love that like conor yeah. talking trash is great that's why we need him back it's his legacy is that he's one of the greatest trash talkers in sports history anyways uh i'll keep you posted i'll shoot you reviews you know, uh, on the Ultimate Fighter. I'll score them out of 10. You can use the content. Feel free. Anything I blurb for you uh, on one of your many platforms. Hey, buddy, again, I am really proud of your podcast. I think it's a great venture. The new one, obviously, the Errol Hawani basketball show. Check it out with Lee Ellis. It gets huge guests. And yeah, if you're a nostalgic fan of uh, the 2000s, as I am, there's a lot of really good stuff there, especially. And uh, yeah, I think that you're one of the best interviewers in the game. You know that. Um, so keep it up, man. Uh, I'll always be a fan. One of the best. One of the best. Sheesh, yeah. I got some work to do. Yeah. 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 But what? I, I want to be the best. best. I want to be the best. I want to yeah. be the best. All right. Yeah. You're, you're close. All right. You're getting there. You're, you keep it up. Right. Right. <laughs> you're a lot better than me. Thank you. Just meandering takes right. and then doesn't go. I'm the Michael Scott of sports radio. I start sentences and I don't <laughs> know where they're going. Anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're the man, buddy. Thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, bud. Best Bets, brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year, the only sportsbook that I use now because it has a million offerings, early payouts, basically every single need that a sports better has. And you know what's nice, too, with Botano is we're going for a month. We're going for a month with only three misses. And so tonight, we're going back to the NBA. I do like the Jays a little bit tonight because Minnesota is banged up and they are one of the worst teams hitting lefties in all of baseball, which is why I backed Kikuchi last time. But my best bet's going to be Gabe Vincent, over 12.5 points. He struggled from the field in the last game. He was pretty much dogging it, 2 of 10. But the other two games, he went well over. I really like Vincent tonight. I think that they need a scoring. I expect a sharper Miami offense. And so Gabe Vincent, over 12.5 points. That is your Botano best bet for the day. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you tomorrow.